Tell us what is data gravity and why does AI really need to move to the edge? And perhaps we'll stick with Cal on this one. Yeah, I, I think I kind of <laughs> mentioned a lot of it before, uh, but essentially um, the size of data is increasing uh, and, and more data is getting uh, generated. And so it's hard to move it for, as I said, cost, uh, performance and security reasons. You can't move that data to a central cloud. Uh, and so increasingly, uh, plus, uh, uh, you know, a lot of data uh, going forward that will be generated as caught, uh, correctly pointed, you don't need to use all that data and move it somewhere. You just have to process it, get the insights, and then move those insights into a data lake. So data gravity is the whole notion of data being, a lot of data being generated, and it's expensive to move it. So you want to bring compute to where the data is. All right, great. Scott, anything to add to that one? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, you know, gravity, right? It's a great word. Um, you know, Newton sitting under the tree getting hit in the head by an apple, uh, you know, probably took one a different view of gravity than, than some of the rest of us do because his head probably hurt for a couple of days. Um, but the reality of data gravity, right, is it sucks the applications to it, right? Um, I, I, I have uh, looked at and considered, you know, the concepts behind what edge computing could be. Um, and, and data gravity really is a driver, right? How AI gets there, um, what happens. Um, if we look at, right, if we look at how um, edge computing will go, um, there's a group, um, it's 3GGGG something T, something like that, who's responsible for the concept of uh, what is called a cellular handoff, right? It used to be, I can remember back in the CDMA days, uh, when you drove from uh, Columbus, Ohio to Cincinnati, Ohio, you would lose a conference call about four times. I remember because I did that many times. CDMA didn't always have clean handoffs between cell towers. There were good handoffs as long as the towers were close enough together. But sometimes towers go where people are. Cellular traffic goes where people are, um, and or at least back then. Uh, and so you had this drop point, right? Um, as we move towards this new world of, of 5G and this edge computing paradigm, uh, what we're going to be able to do, and, and Cal nicely pointed out, right? It's all about, let's get rid of some of the data. Um, let's create an infrastructure that removes the data. Well, edge is the perfect place for an AI to sit and really sort through the crap that humans don't need to see. And again, I go back to my, my home security example. You know, if you've got 16 hours of videotape and you've kept all 16 hours, um, or videotape, well, I showed my age there, didn't I? If you have <laughs> 16 hours of DVR data uh, on from your video security system um, of your front door, but all you care about is the 32 seconds when somebody actually breaks into your front door, um, right? You, you need to get rid of, of 15 hours, uh, 59 minutes and, and 46 seconds if I did my math right. Uh, actually, it's 36 seconds or something like that. Anyway, the point being, you know, you need to be able to get rid of it. That's where AI provides value. That's the value proposition within the, the, the concept of data gravity, that sucking of applications and devices closer to the edge, the edge computing paradigm then adding AI to that allows us to begin this concept of let's truly build six nines applications, but let's not do them in the way we've done them in the past where it was exorbitantly expensive and people had to have massive redundant hardware with edge computing, we'll literally be able to have cheaper 
arrays of hardware spread out and the AI will simply keep the conversation going with the device. So every device that connects into the edge would have its own unique signature and the AI would know I'm having this conversation with this signature and I'm having this conversation with a different signature and this conversation with another one because, you know, AI is not limited by the human multitasking problem, which is, you know, at some point when we multitask, humans stop listening. AI will continue to be able to listen to the multitask and multi conversation process much longer. So that's why data gravity will drive AI to the edge. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. And let's talk about AI anywhere, the solution, and how is this helping in this regard? And Scott, we'll stick with you again. Thanks, Matt. So, I mean, AI anywhere, right? It, it, it's this whole reality of, of ubiquity. Um, if you think about um, and wow, I'm really going to show my age now. But, um, you know, I grew up in the days before cell phones. Um, you know, if you needed to call somebody, you know, you ran to that rotary dial phone and then later this really, really high tech push button phone. Um, you know, and if you wanted to talk to somebody that you didn't want uh, your family knowing about or your family being involved in the conversation, you know, you had to make sure you had a long telephone cord so you could actually pull the telephone into the bathroom and lock the door. Um, that was the era that I came out of. And, and the changes in the evolution um, of the world, you know, really leads us to this concept of, of AI anywhere. And kind of a driver for that will be the expansion of 5G throughout the United States, throughout the world, uh, where 5G will give us a low latency network that is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, you will no longer have to be worried about, you know, drop signal, drop signal strength. Uh, where you are, what's going on, because between moving the AI solutions to the edge, building out that 5G network and having both of those things together gives us this concept of uh, having ubiquitous AI, or, or if you want to call it AI anywhere, allows us to have that implemented virtually anywhere we go. All right, excellent. Cal, anything else to add there sure. regarding AI anywhere? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, um, I would like to use a couple of examples here. Uh, so people are now building solutions called uh, smart stores uh, where a customer goes in and they, they look at um, some item and then quickly uh, based on their facial, um, you know, um, uh, you know uh, features and how they're actually reacting to the <laughs> actual items on the shelf, they, they want to figure out what ads to place on their iPhone or smartphone, right? Uh, and similarly, you have a smart cafeterias where, where a child takes a tray and they put what they want to eat. And then as they walk through, they don't need to stand in a line for the checkout cashier. And, and then, you know, it delays the whole process, right? You have smart apartment buildings where they're looking at the security for the entire apartment building and they quickly want to identify, you know, any type of security threats. Right. So uh, smart cities, you name it. So so essentially all of these examples, essentially what's happening is that a lot of data is getting generated and, and you have to basically have solutions where you can process that data wherever, uh, you know, the data is getting generated. And so going forward, uh, I think uh, people are now looking at and figuring out and Scott correctly mentioned in the 5G world, right, exactly where that training should happen and where the inference should happen. As I mentioned, there are two phases in AI. 
And historically, what uh, people are more and more doing is that the inference will be in your smartphone. It could be in your Tesla car. It could be in the smart store, right? Whereas training, they will be doing it in a more, um, you know, uh, you know, metro level location because the training equipment needs a lot of power because it's it is a, you know building model usually offline task, uh, but nowadays increasingly even training is becoming real time. But it requires a lot of power, like up to 30, 30 to thirty five kilowatts per rack. Uh, you know that's a lot of power. <laughs> and so traditional uh, you know closets in a you know in a store or in a, uh, a you know a, you know they cannot support that kind of power drop. So you will have um, basically a bifurcation. A inference will move more and more close to the edge, and for real time reasons and so on. Whereas training will be more in uh, you know metro level data centers or in the clouds, because that requires a lot of power, a lot of compute hardware, and so on. And so AI anywhere, I think that's the type of vision uh, we are seeing. Okay, great. So why do organizations need to share data or really access external data? And we'll start with Cal on that one. Yeah, absolutely. So let me give you a very, um, uh, you know, a personal experience here to, to illustrate why they need to share data. So uh, I teach um, uh, school on Sundays and one of my students, um, they got this uh, very uh, rare form of uh, cancer. And when they and and they're they're going to the hospitals, best hospitals in the Bay Area here, uh, but the doctors are saying we just don't have enough cases of people having this type of cancer. So now her family is taking her to the you know uh, Houston to to the uh, you know the cancer hospital there, the best one in U.S. because they are hoping that they can get more insights uh, and more help there. But even those doctors are saying if there's only a way we could share this data. Uh, about this particular type of cancer from all the patients across the world, uh, then, you know, we will be able to better diagnose and better treat, right? And why is that? Because most hospitals and organizations are afraid to share their data because they're worried about, you know, what others will do and the privacy and the security risks, right? Uh, but the more data that you can bring together, the better AI models you can create. And so it's not just sharing data of the same type, but also sometimes you have to get the weather data, traffic data, stock trading data. So it's both the more of the same data as well as a variety of data that you have to bring in to create better AI models. And most of the times, this data is not necessarily within your four walls. All right, great. Thanks, Cal. Scott, anything to add to that one? Sure, Matt. But so basically, you know, if you think about it, this is my my favorite example about why do organizations need to share information. Um, if you work in a software development organization, um, there's a, a favorite little project that always occurs. They're called skunk works. Um, and what is a skunk work project? Well, you know, nobody knows. They just sprout up. Um, they're called skunk works probably because, you know, really can't sniff them out, I guess. Um, but the reality is all of these different little groups within a, within a development shop begin to build solutions to a problem that they see. Um, but they don't share information. They don't, they don't talk. They don't say, hey, what's a better way to do this? And so what you end up with is you end up with 35 or 40 different variations of a solution. Um, and the reality, and, and you know, Cal talked nicely and, and, and I thought brilliantly about, you know, the reality of rare cancers, right? If you think about rarity of information, 
Um, it's not just that the information is rare, it's that the systems built for that information, the systems built to manage and improve that information are also rare because nobody needs it, right? Why spend a billion dollars to have a piece of machinery that you're going to use once every 10 years, right? But by the time you use it the next time, it's obsolete anyway. Um, but the reality is, right, you don't, you, you don't necessarily have the capacity uh, for specific really high-end problems. So if organizations are more open to sharing information, and I look, I, I, I understand the reality, right? Coca-Cola is not going to give Pepsi the, uh, uh, the formula to code, right? They're just not going to do that. That's never going to happen. Um, that's not the kind of information um, that they need to share. But, you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi could sit down and have a long conversation about, hey, here's what, here's the routes we take to deliver, um, you know, Coca-Cola to stores. And Pepsi could say, well, here's the routes we take. And then Coke says, well, we spend $10,000 a month on gas. And Pepsi says, we're only spending 7000 And the two can get together and look at it and realize, well, Pepsi's got a better way of doing it. Uh, it, A, is going to save Coke money. But sharing data in that scenario is a way for the two organizations to also do something else, right? Uh, it, it, engage and, and help the environment and, and do something bigger and broader, um, which goes to the concepts of, you know, smart cities. If we get into this area where data is shared, you know, we can begin to actually uh, truly talk about, you know, entering the next phase of, of digital transformation where the natural creation of data is digital only. And honestly, if we think about only digital data, that is going to greatly improve the impact or greatly augment the impact of, of AI as we go forward. 